Good morning, Grace Church. The um, reading this morning is from Luke's account of the Last Last Supper. So that's from Luke 22, which is in the Church Bible, this is page 1057. 1057. So that's Luke 22. I'm going to read from verse 7 to 23. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man, follow, man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, He gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Thanks very much, Martin. Good morning again. Now, I wonder during um, lockdown, sorry to take you back there right at the start of a sermon, during, during lockdown when we weren't able to, to meet together in person, what was it that, that you missed most? Um, about those times, those Sundays when we, we couldn't be here in person, what was it that, that you really missed? Uh, perhaps it was singing, perhaps it was just catching up with people over a coffee afterwards, perhaps it was just physically being with one another. Well, I wonder where you would put the Lord's Supper in that list. Uh, as, as Martin just read, this was that that um, that Last Supper Jesus had with his disciples was one that he eagerly desired. And as we come to take the Lord's Supper, is is that true for us? I wonder. Um, my hunch is that 
Perhaps we don't think about the Lord's Supper as much as we should. And, uh, and so this morning, we're taking a break from our series in, in 1 Corinthians to focus in on the Lord's Supper. There's plenty of things that we could say about it. Um, we're not going to get into sort of technical discussions about whether you should have small glasses or one glass or all of those types of things. But uh, what I want to, to do with our time this, this morning is just see the Lord's kindness in giving us the Lord's Supper. That actually the Lord's Supper is, is his grace for us. Um, that's what I'm going to focus our, our time on. On Sunday mornings as, as we gather, we're not here to listen to a lecture. Um, so uh, let me just um, pray as we start and, and ask for God's help as we think about this, this topic. Heavenly Father, we've, we've sung already that though our sins are many, your mercy is more. How we thank you for your mercy, how we thank you for your love and your kindness and your grace. And we pray that this morning you would help us to, to see more of your kindness and your grace as we think about the Lord's Supper and, uh, and all that's going on there. Please would you help us. And please, Father, our faith is so weak. We, we so desperately need encouraging and reassurance. And we pray by your spirit, through your word, through these elements that we'll share later, would you do us good? Would you reassure us of your grace and your love um, and your mercy to us? So please help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I've got a, a, a thought experiment to, to start off with. Um, up on the screen you will see a picture of a fluffy kitten. Now imagine I was to give you a picture of a kitten on a piece of paper. A really cute fluffy one like this. This is probably striking quite close to home for you guys, isn't it, Adam and Lorna, with your little kitten. But um, imagine I was to give you a picture of a, of a, a nice fluffy kitten and some darts. And I want you to put the picture of the kitten on the wall and throw darts right at its face. That... Yikes. It's just a piece of paper, isn't it? I mean, we know what you're worried about. Why do we instinctively... Or imagine I, I got out a flag. And there's the Union Jack. Um, doesn't have to be that. Maybe it was Stars and Stripes, the Russian flag. Imagine I was to take that out and burn it here in front of you how would you feel about that what would be going through your mind it's just a piece of cloth and I'm just burning a piece of cloth in front of you it's just a piece of paper of a kitten and yet it's, it's not just a piece of paper it's not just a picture a flag it's just a piece of cloth but it's not just a piece of, of cloth a burning flag is powerful isn't it? And in one sense, um, symbols and signs have no intrinsic value. A photo is just a piece of paper. A flag is just a piece of cloth. But intuitively, we know they are much more than the materials from which they're made. They are full 
of meaning. And there can be a real and strong link between signs and the things that they they signify. So when we come to bread and wine, it's not just bread and wine. So so what is it? What what are they? What's going on as we share this meal together as as believers? Well, that's what we're going to deal with this morning. But before we come to that... I want us to think as, as to why perhaps we don't think about it as much as we should. Um, as we said before, Jesus eagerly desired to share the Last Supper meal with his friends. How about you? Is this a meal that you eagerly desire? Well, why don't we think about it? Why don't we talk about it? Um, there's an excellent book that, that I've, I've, I've read just in the, in the last week or so by um, Tim Chester uh, called Truth You Can Touch. I'd really recommend you devour that. Um, it's really helpful looking at baptism and the Lord's um, Supper. And he points out two reasons why perhaps we don't think about the Lord's Supper as much as, as we should. And the first one is history. There's a history of complicated theological debates surrounding it. If you think back to the kind of epic revolutionary debates and arguments of the Reformation in the 16th century, debates around what do we have to do to be saved? Is it about what we have to do or or are we justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, grace alone? There's nothing we contribute. All that we contribute is our sin. There were huge debates around that. And there were huge debates around the authority of, of God's word. Do our man-made traditions have the same authority as the word of God? That's where the debates were around. But and the issue that was a close third at that time was that of the sacraments and baptism and, and the mass, uh, communion, Lord's Supper. And debates as to whether the, the bread and wine physically became the blood of Christ or not. Now, those debates resurfaced again in the 19th century in, in the Oxford movement. There's a kind of Catholic resurgence in, in, this, in the Church of England. And to some extent, those debates carry on today. There's four main differing views about exactly what's going on here. And so as we kind of think about this, this history of debate and complicated theological stuff, we think, whoa, this, this is, a, this is a, a minefield of centuries-old theological arguments. Let's not go there. So that could be one reason we don't like to think about it that much. Secondly, the modern secular culture that we live in, today's mindset. Now, Charles um, Taylor wrote um, extensively on on understanding the secular age that that we live in. And uh, one image he uses is is to to imagine um, our way of seeing the world as as being like a house. The ground floor of the house is the material, earthly thing. The upstairs is the divine, spiritual reality. And for most people around us today as far as they're concerned we live in a bungalow shut off to to the possibility of the divine and of the spiritual 
in, in our world, in our culture. I think, therefore I am. Rational thinking, science, reason, all of that trumps subjective religious experiences. And this idea of the spiritual, the transcendent, the upstairs, just isn't there for, for most people. So a combination of the kind of weight of history, not wanting to wade into complicated theological arguments about transubstantiation and consubstantiation and living in a rational, sceptical, modern world where we're trying to explain spiritual realities is just impossibly hard work. All of that puts us off thinking about what's going on as we take this meal. So my aim this morning is to... Is is, is to show us that, that the Lord's Supper is given to us by Christ to nurture our faith. The sacraments, baptism, yeah, the Lord's Supper, are in, in his kindness are given to us by Christ to nurture our faith. More than simply just work on our minds to teach us or, or remind us, these physical acts that we do Work, if you like, as we respond in faith. And the more that we understand and appreciate what they signify and what's going on, the more benefit they'll bring us and, and the more we'll value them. So these elements are given to nurture our faith. And I've got two points um, this morning. The first one is that um, the, the Lord's Supper is an embodied promise. Embodied promise. Now, I don't know if you've come across that term, sacraments, um, before maybe a new um, thing for you. It comes from um, a Latin word. And uh, it, it, it's, it's the, um, the oath, if you like, taken by soldiers. It's the sacred pledge of allegiance. Sacramentum, that's where the word comes from. Um, it's also used in Roman times. If you are suing someone in a court of law, the contested sum between the two parties was held in a, a common fund, a sacramentum, um, until the end of the case, when it was then given to whoever won. So in this word, sacraments, We've got this idea of, of, of pledge, of oaths, of, of promises, and of things being set apart and um, sacrosanct, perhaps this word we might be more familiar with. So at the heart of this communion um, meal, the Lord's Supper, is this idea of, of promises, and what I've called embodied promises. And right there in, in what we read in, in Luke 22, as Jesus celebrates this, this meal with his disciples, the language of promise or covenant is right at the heart of what he says. Have a look at verse uh, 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So I want us to see the Lord's Supper is embodied promises. It's the physical embodiment of God's promises to you. So what am I not saying 
by that strange phrase. What am I not saying? By this idea of embodied promise. I'm not saying that this bread and wine is some kind of spiritual vitamin tablet. That you just kind of pop in and, and it does its magic. That's, that's not what we're saying. It's not um, by the action of the act. Um, we're not saved by partaking of the sacraments. We're not saved as Christians by being baptised or by receiving communion. The sacraments are, are, are only effective when we respond to them with, with faith in Christ. So perhaps think about it like this. Just um, physically hearing a sermon doesn't make you a Christian. For my teenage years, I spent most of my Sundays in church playing sermon cricket. I don't know if anyone's played play that. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this. I'm going to give you ideas now. But uh, when the preacher went like that, you lost the wicket. Four runs, sixes. We didn't get many sixes in our church at the time. Lots of wickets. I don't know what that says about that. Anyway. <laughs> but just, just physically sitting there playing sermon cricket, hearing a sermon... That's not what makes you a Christian, is it? Sermons, God's word, is only effective when we respond in, uh, with faith in Christ, as the Spirit moves us to do that. So with communion. They're not spiritual vitamin tablets. They're only effective when we respond with faith in Christ. So that doesn't mean that the meaning or power of, of the Lord's Supper lies in our response. That's not how it works with preaching, is it? The meaning or power of God's word doesn't lie in, in how we respond to it. Now, my response matters, but that's not what makes God's word or the bread and wine powerful, meaningful, effective. Their meaning, their power, God's, that the meaning of, of God's word derives from the gospel, derives from God himself. And when teamed up with the spirit, the word, the spirit working together, bam. That's when it's powerful. That's when it's meaningful. That's when it changes us, transforms us. Actually, throughout the Bible story, you find instances of, of God's gospel promises embodied in physical tangible things and kind of once you clock that you, you see it everywhere throughout the bible story think of the passover um luke in in chapter 22 is in great pains to point out in this little account this was the passover there's all that kind of symbolism and meaning that he's, he's wanting to 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 get into it so the passover god's rescue of his people from slavery, redeeming them from slavery. The last and most terrible plague, the angel of death killing the firstborn. What were the Israelites to do to escape? Well, they were to kill a lamb in place of their firstborn, daub its blood on the doorposts, and the angel would pass over. That's an embodied, a physical, um, if you like, an embodied gospel promise a couple of weeks ago with with diggers we were looking at uh, the time when uh, the israelites were, were in the wilderness 
And they'd been bitten by poisonous snakes and they cried out to, me, to Moses to call out to the Lord for mercy. And, and so he did. And the Lord told him to take a bronze snake, to put it on a pole and to hold it up. Anyone who looked to the snake was saved. It's just a snake on a pole, isn't it? It's just you know, a bronze snake on a pole, isn't it? It's not just. There's embodied gospel promise in that. So in both of those instances, there's, there's, there, there are signs conveying a reality that they are pointing to when we respond by faith. And it's important to get that distinction for, for, for Roman Catholics. The, the signs that the bread and the wine literally become Jesus' body and blood. Whereas Protestants and, uh, and what we say in this church is that this is embodied promise. These are signs conveying a reality, not becoming a uh, a reality and there's a distinction there so it's not that the snake on the pole is what saved but the promise attached to the snake on the pole and the the promise responded to in faith that is what saved baptism the lord's supper are objective declarations of god's promise in the gospel and they are given to us for faith to strengthen and to nourish us and they are inseparably bound up with the gospel with with the word of god here's what the westminster confession says it says this the grace of faith is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word but also increased and strengthened by the sacraments. John Calvin said, let it be regarded as a settled principle that the sacraments have the same office as the word of God to offer and set forth Christ to us and in him the treasures of heavenly grace. And uh, my favourite Dutch theologian, Herman Bavink, said, the content of the word and sacrament is completely identical. They only differ in the external form, in the manner in which they offer the same Christ to us. In the Lord's Supper, we indeed do not receive any other or, or any more benefits than we do in the word, but also no fewer. So let's um, get practical for a minute. Let's, let's think how helpful this is. As we come to the Lord's Supper uh, later, you may be full of doubt, you may be full of guilt, or just spiritual numbness. But as you take the bread and the wine, it is God's promise. You hold it in your hands, you put it to your lips. This is, this is God's kindness to you. This is God's commitment to you. This is God's yes to you in Christ. The forgiveness of sin is, is not something I feel, you feel. It is an objective reality that took place once and for all at the cross. And we have that promise in, in bread and wine here. 
embodied promise, embodied grace. In his kindness, this simple physical meal is for us embodied people. It's incredible grace. It's his kindness to us. Just, just think about it in this way as well. We, we are invited to this meal. What do we do? We receive. What do we bring? Nothing. We feed on what we are given to us. Just as we are dependent on God for the physical food that we eat, our, our daily bread, if you like, so we're dependent on God as sinners needing spiritual food and, and grace for forgiveness. Now I wonder if, if you're ever tempted to, to think that you're on some kind of spiritual probation with God. That any minute now he's going to say, that's it, I've had enough. How many times are you going to keep on making the same mistakes? Is that what God is like? No. He, he loves to forgive. He never gets tired of, of forgiving and showing us grace and mercy. He's not like us. And that is wonderful, wonderful good news. So the embodied grace, the embodied gospel promises that we have here speak to us of the objective realities of what the Lord Jesus has achieved for us once and for all. So this is embodied promise. And secondly, what, what's this meal all about? It's, it's about embodied promise, but it's about remembrance. Remembrance. Luke 22, verse 19 and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're to remember, not in a to-do list kind of a way, putting a post-it note on the fridge. Don't forget to feed the cat. Not that side of things. We're to remember. There's a sense in which remembering shapes us and gives us a, a shared identity. And think of a, a war memorial in, in a town centre. What are they there for? These massive concrete reminders are to help us remember lest we forget. To honour the memory, to learn the lessons of history. These things shape us and, and form us, don't they? And how much more for us as the people of God? And as you look through the story of the Old Testament again and again, you see how God provides physical, tangible reminders to his people. So as they, as they cross the Jordan into the promised land, they're to take 12 stones as they go from the river and balance them on top of each other somehow to, to make a memorial. In 1 Samuel 7, 
as the Lord defeated the Philistines, Samuel sets up an Ebenezer stone, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. And the Passover meal, as, as we've seen as well, as God told his people, um, it, a tangible, physical meal to eat every year to remember. Not just words to pass on to remember, but a meal to, to eat. Physical, tangible. Thing. And we can go on and, and, and on. God in his kindness, knowing the weakness of our faith, gives us not just words to listen to, to remember, but, but bread and wine to eat. So as we share this meal, we look back to the cross. We remember Jesus' suffering and his death. And that's a central part to, to what's happening when we take bread and wine. But I want us to see this morning that we're not the only ones doing the remembering. The Lord is remembering his covenant too. Psalm 105 verse 8 describes the Lord in this way. He remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made for a thousand generations. Now when... God remembers his covenant. What, what does that mean? Has he just sort of forgotten it and not seen the post-it? Is that, is that what's going on? When the, when the Bible speaks of God remembering his covenant, it's always to do with him acting to keep or to fulfill his promises. When the Bible speaks of God remembering his covenant, it's always to do with him acting to fulfill and to keep his promises. Now imagine Adam there had promised me that uh, on my birthday he would give me fifty pounds. My birthday comes round, I would go up to Adam and say, "Remember this. Here's your signature. Fifty. Give me cough up, please." We're used to the way that that kind of thing works, isn't it? The way contracts and remembering that side of things well as we've read in in luke's gospel on the night before he died jesus made a covenant with his people he committed himself to the forgiveness of their sins that night verse 20 in the same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you the next day, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the covenant by shedding his blood on the cross. The wine is, is called the blood of the covenant because it's a picture of the way God delivered on his covenant promise through the shed blood of his son. So we can be forgiven. And therefore God can be true to his covenant because Jesus died on the cross bearing the penalty our sins deserve. So when we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, in remembrance of Jesus, we're not simply recalling the past. We are, we are calling on God to act in keeping with his covenant promises. We are asking him to forgive our sins through the blood of Jesus. 
And when we remember that moment in the Lord's Supper, it's as if we were there at that last supper. But why does the eternal, all-knowing God need memory aids? Well, it's not for his benefit, but for ours. Again, we come back to his kindness and and his grace. In, In our weakness, when we feel forgotten by him, in his kindness, we have tangible physical reminders of, of his commitment, his love for us, embodied promises for us to receive, to nourish us. Now, as we, as we finish up, we'll, we'll share this, uh, this meal in a moment. How are we to respond to all of this? A covenant, after all, has, has two parties to it, two sides. Well, the Lord's Supper is, is like a renewal of the covenant between us and God, where he remembers his promises to forgive us and bring us life in his Son. But what are our commitments? What are we remembering? We remember the Lord Jesus, but we remember also the commitments he has called us to once we're his. Once we're we're saved by grace, brought into relationship with him by grace through faith alone. Once we're in relationship with him, as we come to, to share this meal, we commit ourselves afresh to put sin, pride, selfishness, self-reliance to death. We commit ourselves to following Jesus with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we commit ourselves to one another. This is a meal that we share together. It's a meal that, that unites us together. We eat together, one loaf, one, one body. And so we commit to one another in this meal too. We, we, we commit to, to be people who meet one another regularly. We commit to be people who, who will pray for one another, who will serve one another in love, who will give sacrificially, who will get on with proclaiming the gospel, who will commit to disciple and to being discipled. All of these and more are what we recommit to do as we gather around the Lord's table to to renew the covenant. So Paul in 1 Corinthians says this is not something that we do lightly or irreverently. We look in to our sin and to the desperate need of grace and forgiveness that that we all have we look back to the cross to see how jesus death paid for it all we look around at our fellow brothers and sisters and the, the the unity that we have as one body and we look forward to the feast of the Lamb, that this is a a foretaste of. We look forward to the the feast of the Lamb in, in heaven.
Well, we're going to do that just now. So why don't you take a moment to look in those different directions. And then we're going to sing the first um, two verses of, of a song. Um, how deep the Father's love for us. Uh, maybe we can stay seated as we, as we sing. Um, and then we'll share um, the Lord's Supper. And uh, finish up singing the, the last verse. So let's just take a moment. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not uh, deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Amen.